Listeners, it's Sam here again, and just the usual shout out for our brilliant sponsors before this week's show. Paces Ahead have courses for the start of 2024, and listeners, here's a possible sweetener for you. I will be there at their first course of 2024. That's the 16th to the 19th of January. Please do come along and say hi if you catch me. It would be great to meet some of you if you're there. But there is also a course the following week from the 20th to the 23rd of January for those of you sitting in the first diet of 2024. Not only that, but they also have courses lined up for May as well. The 20th to the 23rd of May and the 28th to the 31st of May. I highly recommend booking on early to avoid disappointment. They very regularly get oversubscribed. If you can't make a course though, past tests have got you covered with their market-leading online revision paces resource. I think most pacer sitters would agree this is more or less essential to have to complement your ward-based preparation. So to get access, just click any of the links in the show notes labelled past test. But enough on that for now, let's get started on this week's episode. Welcome back, listeners, to a brand new show here on the Pre-Paces podcast with me, Dr. Sam Williams. And today, we've got a short but sweet episode for you, but let me tell you now, it oozes quality throughout. We welcome back a consultant guest from a previous show, casting our minds back to episode 8 on collapses. We welcome back Dr. Ashley Nisbet. She is a consultant cardiologist and electrophysiologist training program director for cardiology in the seven deanery she's an honorary senior lecturer at the university of bristol and a peloton addict now we know from our previous conversations with ashley that she has examined on paces for years this begs the question how does the day pan out for an examiner what are the commonest pitfalls of candidates who don't end up passing and what are the highlights of the real standout candidates Ashley spills the MRCP beans in this bite-sized episode, which is really not one to miss. So without further ado, let's get into this episode of the Pre-Paces Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pre-Paces Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sam Williams, and we are delighted to welcome back Dr. Ashley Nisbet, Consultant Cardiologist at the Bristol Heart Institute. Ashley, thanks for joining us again. Very welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me. Now, we've spoken before about the fact you've examined on Paces for a good few years now. I thought we'd just try and take a peek behind the magician's cloth and ask for a first-hand perspective from an experienced examiner on their experience of paces. So when you go to examine um, candidates sitting paces, how does the day normally play out for you as an examiner? So initially um, brought into, all the examiners are initially brought into a room where we have an examiner briefing. Um, And in that briefing, we are uh, allocated to the station that we will be examining and we meet our co-examiner. As you know, there are always two examiners per station. Um, So we will meet our co-examiner. We will 
have a conversation about how the day is going to go and we will see the list of candidates that we're going to examine and at that point if we recognise the candidates or think that there's anyone that we've worked closely with that could reflect conflict of interest in terms of examining them then that will be raised at that point and we will then make the stand-in examiner aware so the the host examiner will then often stand in if, if necessary in that circumstance um, Usually then we, we simply go off to our stations and we meet the patients if they're patients or we meet the actor if there's actors. Um, we have a look at the scenarios and the clinical information that the candidates are given and then independently the examiners will go and examine the patient, have a conversation with the patient so that we can um, really independently make a judgement on the clinical signs that we think the candidate should be able to detect uh, during that station. The two examiners per station will then come together and calibrate the station which means that we will have a conversation about what we think are the um, expectations of the candidate, what will be necessary for them to detect in order to pass the station, um, what would um, be inadequate and would indicate failing the station and what would be you know, markers of, 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 of an outstanding um, score. So things that we wouldn't necessarily expect the candidate to say to pass, but if they did um, you know, elaborate to some extent, then that would get them the higher, the higher scores. Um, so we then, you know, meet the candidates and we we examine the, the candidates as they come through in their cycles. Um, there's very little room for, for breaks in between. Um, we usually have a very short lunch break somewhere halfway through the day. Um, when I've examined, I've usually examined three cycles in a day, which is really a long, long day. So um, that can that can be quite tough, but um, it's it's um, definitely an enjoyable thing to do so there's loads that i want to <laughs> dig down deeper into so you mentioned you you will get put on a specific station and is it true that you can't examine a station which is pertinent to your own specialty yeah that's correct um i think that's really important because i think that um, you know my expectations of what a candidate might detect in a cardiology station um, as a cardiologist will probably be a bit higher than than perhaps another physicianly specialty might um, might expect and therefore I think that's the fairest way to examine it um, I think that we can reassure candidates that these exams are very rigorously regulated. Um, you know, there there is independent calibration of every station from each examiner. Um, so we would not expect you to detect clinical signs that we can't hear ourselves. Um, but we also would like to say that it's really important not to make things up. Don't say that clinical signs are there that are not there because that again is something that you know we will have checked before if we can hear a murmur or hear the findings in the chest or feel the lump in the abdomen or the liver edge. Um, so, you know, we will have examined the patient before you, so those things are definitely um, important. And you mentioned about the fact that examining three cycles in a day, which is going to be, what, at least six or seven, eight candidates per examination. So what sort of role does fatigue play and what effect does that have on the examiners with regard to sort of 
how how can you sort of mitigate that that sort of level of fatigue if you're examining so many candidates in one day? Yeah, so we alternate. Um, so there's two examiners per station, and so um, for each candidate that comes through, we alternate which examiner is actually taking the lead in that station. So although both of us will score the candidate, one person will be really focusing on the the candidate's performance, and the other will be um, pro- providing the sort of timing um, cues. So with that in mind, then you, you you do get an opportunity to sort of sit back a bit for some of the time. Um, there are also, you know, we have coffee break in the afternoon, we have a, a brief lunch break in the middle of the day. And I think because each candidate comes in, it's a, it's a fresh candidate, it's a fresh approach, um, that... It, it doesn't really feel like a you know a, a drag. It feels like each time you do something, you're doing something different. But also, um, if you are examining multiple cycles in the day, then you won't examine the same station for each cycle. So you will you will rotate around um, a different station, at least one rotation a day, sometimes two. And what do you think are the most common pitfalls for? candidates who maybe don't pass the station in particular that you're examining? The main thing is not having a systematic approach to your case as you presented it. Um, I think if you... um, if you start waffling and particularly if you start waffling off down the wrong track so if you for example if you miss the clinical signs and then start going off down the wrong uh, route of investigation and management then that I'm afraid is likely to fail you the station even if for your clinical signs that you think you've detected if you then get the wrong investigation and management although it's the right thing for what you've said it's actually the wrong thing for that station so then it's very very easy to completely fail it because um, you've you've detected the or you've made the wrong diagnosis in the first place and um, so that's a major pitfall and that's that's where I think a lot of good candidates fail because they've just they've just missed the thing that was the key to that station and although they've got you know everything else right the actual thing that they were supposed to you know detect in the first place be it the murmur or be it the the chest signs or the abdomen signs if you get that wrong in the first place but then you go down the right track for your wrong answer then i'm afraid you're not going to get the points um so that's very common the other things are um, particularly in the communication stations just um, really uh, being aware of the um, the sort of non-verbal cues that are coming through from the history I think those things are really important and I think that it's definitely much more difficult um, for candidates in whom English isn't their first language, those can be very challenging stations and that's where candidates um, quite often fail. And if you do find that during their presentation of the case or other other times when the candidates are communicating with you, how much help are you able to give them to try and sort of get them back on the road off the beaten path are you able to help them a great a great amount with that i'm afraid not <laughs> i'm afraid not i think um we we can't really give guidance to the candidates um 
we're not supposed to, you know, say things like, yes, well done, good, you know, excellent, or yes, that's right. We just have to kind of take take as read what the candidate's saying and say, thank you very much, and then move them on to the next station. So unfortunately, it sometimes feels like we're quite cold and quite distant. Um, and although certainly my approach is to appear warm and friendly and welcoming, um, I, I can't be encouraging in a sense um, I'm inwardly trying very hard to be encouraging because I know it's terrifying because I remember the very day that I sat mine and I'll never forget how horrifying the whole experience was but um, unfortunately you know we can't give candidates um, pointers as to whether they're doing well or otherwise I'm afraid and and then just on the sort of flip side of that is what do you find are the features of really outstanding candidates Mm. you can tell when someone is well prepared you can tell um who has examined hundreds of patients um you can tell who has been in a busy acute medical job and just knows how to manage acute medical patients um because the conversations um about management become very fluent and and it's clear that the candidate knows what they're talking about um paces is there to to um, you know, to really make an assessment of you as a physician um, at the start of higher medical training, and we're not expecting you to be an expert, but we we want a broad um, depth of knowledge of a lot of different systems, really. Um, and if you are someone who has been um, a, a, an IMT trainee or a core medical trainee, and you've been there and you've seen the patients and you've you've done the the preparation in terms of examining lots of patients then that comes across very well in the in the exam so it's more just the slickness of the examination and you know fluidly moving through the examination and then you know finishing on time and being ready to present exactly being well practiced um coming in being nice to the patient um examining the patient in a way that makes it look like you've done it hundreds of times before and it's second nature and you're not thinking about what's coming next um and then um stepping back and succinctly presenting your findings um and when asked about um, investigation or management and um, being able to speak about that with um, with reasons so you know instead of just saying well I'm going to do routine bloods and you know stopping at that um, mentioning what you're looking for in those routine bloods and why that's relevant to that particular case um, and then talking a bit through management and actually um, the good candidates will give us very little time to ask questions because they will have filled the time by examining the patients presenting the findings and then saying what they're going to do next Um, and so then we'll have very little time before you need to move on to the next station to then um, you know really probe Um, and if we do start really probing and we start to get into the you know the depths of really detailed and more advanced um, questions then you're probably doing quite well. What do you think, as, as an examiner, from an examiner's perspective, what do you think are the most enjoyable parts of examining on paces? 
Um, yeah, a lot of people ask me why do I do it, and my colleagues can't understand why I can be bothered. And actually, um, I think ultimately, at the end of the day, um, although I'm a cardiologist and I've been a cardio cardiology consultant for nearly seven years, I'm still a physician at heart. Um, I think that it's really useful just to be able to be involved in. Um, the exam because you kind of it gives you a bit it's quite educational in itself it gives you a bit of a reminder of of you know what's going on in other specialties it gives you the opportunity to network with other physicians from other specialties uh, within medicine I um, tend to actively seek to examine back home in Scotland so I go back and I see um, people that I've worked with and or trained under years before and I do enjoy that sort of networking aspect of it and I think most of us that do it do it because we are um, we're passionate about education and about the the role of the Royal College predominantly in maintaining standards of medical education and medical training um, and it's entirely voluntary um, so we we are giving up our you know leave study leave annual leave whatever to go and do these exams um, and so we, we genuinely are doing it in because we enjoy it and um, yeah that's all really I could say about that <laughs> <laughs> and then on the flip side of that, what do you think are the, the most difficult things about um, examining paces? Yeah, finding the time is the main thing, really. Um, it's finding a day that suits in a centre that you can get to on that particular day. So with a very busy clinical job, um, you know, the, the paces exams uh, happen pretty much whatever day of the week they happen. Um, and it's just looking at the calendar and finding a day where, where you can go and actually contribute. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the most difficult thing. Mm. Well, we are indebted to you again for coming on. And not only can you find the time to examine on paces, but you can even find the time to appear for a second time on a, on a measly little pre-paces podcast. So <laughs> we do really appreciate you coming on uh, again, Ashley, and having, having a chat to us about an examiner's perspective on paces. You're very welcome, Sam. Anytime. There we have it, guys, the end of another episode of the Pre-Paces podcast. Don't forget, we want to hear from you. What topics do you want us to cover? What would be helpful for you to hear about in the build-up to your exam? Or even better, if you know a friendly registrar or consultant who would be fantastic for the show, give us a shout, let us know, and we can see if they're willing to feature. Tweet us at Pre-Paces podcast or hit us up at prepacespodcast.com. Lastly, if you love the show and you want to support with a pay-what-you-can donation, you can do that over at buymeacoffee.com slash podcast. Links for all of these are in the show notes as per usual. We love you all for listening. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time on the Pre-Paces Podcast. <laughs>